Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I wonder if you've noticed the enormous emphasis placed in the Bible on a good understanding, a correct understanding of the words and the message of the Bible. There are many passages which stress the need for illumination, for revelation through the Spirit of God, the Spirit which lies behind the words of the Bible. The Spirit of God in the Bible, the Holy Spirit, is God communicating. It's God revealing his mind to us. Do you remember the verse at the beginning of Second Samuel, chapter 23, where David said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was in my mouth. And in Proverbs 1, verse 23, we read this, Behold, I will pour out my Spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. Do you see there the connection between Spirit and Word? The Spirit is the mind of God. And he reveals that mind. He opens his heart and his mind to us through the words of Scripture. The Bible is a love letter to us from God. It explains what God is doing in this universe and what we're supposed to do in response to what God is doing. Many people seem to think that the Bible is simply a list and a catalog of things that we're supposed to do. Now, certainly there's a great deal in Scripture about how human beings are to conduct themselves, but there's a vast amount of material telling us what God is doing, how God is active in this world by way of his Operation Kingdom plan. God's objective is to restore peace on this earth. Ever since the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell for the lies of the devil and were fooled by the tricks of the devil and believed what he said rather than what God said, Ever since that time, God has been engaged in an Operation Kingdom plan. His objective is to restore peace on the earth. Peter used that very word restoration in Acts 3, verse 21. He pointed out that heaven must presently retain the Messiah until the time comes for the restoration of all things according to the prophet's message. Acts 3, verse 21. You remember how Jesus had answered the question of the disciples in Acts 1, 6 about the restoration, there's that same word again, about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Jesus had said that it was not for the disciples to know when that great event would happen, but they would be filled with the Spirit within a few days' time. The coming of the Spirit at Pentecost is not the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom lies in the future yet. We're praying, Thy kingdom come. We can ask for the Spirit now. The Spirit is the down payment of a much greater payment we shall receive when the kingdom is inaugurated at the second coming of Jesus, when he returns to this earth in power and glory and establishes his kingdom on the earth. I'm telling you here about God's plan. The Bible is a revelation of what God is doing, what God offers to us. And the Spirit of God is the revealing mind of God. It's God's operational presence with us through the pages of his word. God's Spirit reveals the inner heart and life of God himself. God's own self-consciousness, God's own self is revealed by his Spirit. And that Spirit has inspired the words of Scripture. You remember how Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 that all Scripture 
That's to say, the entirety of the canon of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament as we have it today, all Scripture is inspirited by God. God's Spirit is in those words. The words of the Bible are not just man's words. They were penned indeed by human beings, but these were special chosen vehicles and channels of God's inspired mind. Do you remember how Paul in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. There are two major wavelengths into which we can tune our minds, either the Spirit of the truth, which is the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus also, or the Spirit of a lying, deceitful system, that's to say the system being orchestrated and organized by the devil, who is the great liar, the master liar, as Jesus said. He's been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He now has a vast amount of experience in how to tell lies. He has polished the art of lying to a fine point. Satan is clever with his lies. He deceives people by subtly contradicting the word of God. Now, he doesn't, of course, come as a being with horns out of his head. He doesn't come announcing his lies. He comes parading as an angel of light. You remember that extraordinary passage in 2 Corinthians 11? Paul warned the church there, the church that he'd found it himself, that they were being led astray. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, Paul said to the people in Corinth, because I have betrothed you to one husband, that's to say to Messiah, so that I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Messiah. For if someone comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you're putting up with this beautifully. In other words, you see, the Corinthians were being taken in by the wiles of the devil, and it took Paul, as the supervising apostle, to point out where these people were being misled. And the problem was that Satan was subtle with his lies. He didn't advertise his lies. He didn't claim to be a liar. He claimed to be speaking the truth. And he had multiple agents who camouflaged themselves cleverly and presented themselves as angels and ministers of light and righteousness. In verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's hardly surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Well, how then, you may ask, can one possibly distinguish between the subtle counterfeit and the truth? And the answer is only by being absorbed with God's word, the truth of God's word, as opposed to the deceitful lying of the devil. Those who are not studying the Bible are very much likely to be led astray. It simply isn't good enough to take at second hand the word of a human being. You must involve yourself with the Bible at first hand. That's why the people in Berea in Acts 17.11 were blessed because of their daily diligence in studying the Bible. 
They investigated the scriptures daily, Luke reports in Acts 17.11, and their purpose in this daily inquiry in the scriptures was to see if what they were hearing was true. They didn't simply take Paul at his word, even though Paul was an apostle. They verified what he had to say by comparing it with the gold standard revealed to them in God's love letter to us, the inspired words of canonical scripture. Now, in Ephesians 2, Paul said, referring to the previous non-Christian life of the converts that he'd made, he said, You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the system of this world, that is, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. There's a mindset, there's a spirit coming from Satan which works in those who are disobedient. And the only antidote to that spirit of error is the spirit of truth. And that spirit of truth is nothing less than the mind of God revealed to us, graciously revealed to us, as God informs us in the pages of Scripture about what he is doing in his great Operation Kingdom plan and what he requires of us as human beings as we come into line with his great covenant, the arrangement he's made between us and himself, a covenant which began with Abraham and was confirmed by Jesus Christ, confirmed in Jesus Christ, and it's a covenant promising to give us the kingdom of God. And to be given the kingdom of God means to rule with Christ in the future on the earth when Jesus comes back to inaugurate the kingdom in power and glory at his second coming. The Christian life now is a time of preparation. We're being tested and tried. Our characters are being examined and investigated by God. He's probing our hearts to see if we are going to believe the truth or carelessly believe the lies of the devil. That's the exercise that we as Christians are engaged in day by day. Listen to these extraordinary words of Paul as he defines for us the menace of the anti-Christian spirit. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he speaks of the lawless one, the Antichrist, the final Antichrist, who is going to be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, his second coming, that is. Then he goes on to describe this anti-Christian tyrant, this final beast-like creature. He describes him in more detail. He's the one who's coming, and you note then that he has a counterfeit second coming, somehow a dazzling display of satanic energy which will ape and mimic the very coming of Jesus himself. The Antichrist is described here as one whose coming is in accordance with the energy or activity of Satan. You see there how the spirit of Satan is at work to deceive. He has energy by which he deceives human beings. The activity of Satan with all power and signs and lying miracles. Now, they can be genuine miracles in the sense that a supernatural event can take place, but they're not worked by the Spirit of God. They're coming from the dark powers of Satan. The fact that a miracle has taken place does not in itself prove that God is at work. You remember how the fraudulent emissaries of Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, how they were able to turn rods into snakes. They could do miracles but they were doing it by the strange and foreign power of the devil and not by the power of God. In verse 10 of Second Thessalonians, Paul goes on like this, 
with all the deception of wickedness, this Antichrist will operate for those who are perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth in order to be saved. Do you see there that a love of the truth, a passion for knowing the truth as distinct from lies, is a prerequisite for salvation? It's because the love of the truth they would not receive. They refused the love of the truth, and so they're perishing. You have to have a love of the truth, a daily investigative activity, perusing the Scriptures in detail, searching the Scriptures, calling out to God for truth at all costs. This is what is required for salvation, according to that verse in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 10. And then in verse 11, Paul goes on to point out that because they did not receive this love of the truth, God is going to send them a deluding influence. An influence will actually cause them to believe lies. God will send them a deluding or a deceiving influence so that they might believe what is false. I want to point out to you that the Holy Spirit of God is the antithesis of that deluding influence. The Spirit of God is the influence of the truth. In John's Gospel, the Spirit is called the Spirit of the truth, as opposed to the Spirit of the error. Now, that deluding influence of error, that satanic spirit by which he deceives our minds, can only be offset, it can only be exposed by the counteractivity of the Spirit of God. We invite you to request from us our free book on the Kingdom of God and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.